Welcome to Headlines, the most listened to Torah program in the world. I want to first thank Rav David Lichtenstein for giving me this opportunity and this honor to sit in for him and to guest host this program live from Yushalayim. This is Pesach Lerner, chairman of Eretz HaKodesh Party in the World Zionist Organization, coming to you live from Yushalayim. And I hope that this evening's program will bring you up to date on so many things that are happening in Yerushalayim. Unfortunately, many of them are challenging to our hashkafa and halacha, but it's important that we hear what's going on, we hear from the people that are involved, and uh, we will learn from it. So David's custom is to start the program with the Zvar Torah, and I will follow that custom and hopefully give the direction for the rest of the program. The Torah tells us by the Chet Ego, by Ya'amod, Moshe, Bashar HaMachameh, and Moshe came down from Harsinai, and he saw what was going on, and he stood by the Shar HaMachameh, by Yomri and Moshe Rabbeinu said, Mi Lashem Eli, who for Hashem come to me, by Yehosu Elov Kol B'nei Leiden. That's the Pasuk. And tell me, tell you, I'll tell you how I heard the Pasuk, how it was used. Many, many years ago at a Torah Masorah convention, I was there, and Rav Shimon Schwab, Zecher Tzadik Livracha from the Washington Heights, the boys community was there as well. And he tells over the following story, and the story goes, at once when he was a young man, he went to visit the Chafetz Chaim. And Rav Schwab said he walked into the Chafetz Chaim, and whatever went on in the Chafetz Chaim asked him, Yungaman, by chance are you a Kohen? And the Shrab answered no. And the Chavos Chaim asked him, maybe your father was a Kohen? And the Shrab, thinking, I mean, if I'm not a Kohen, my father's not a Kohen, said no. Maybe your Zayla was a Kohen, the Chavos Chaim asked him. And the Shrab understood, he wasn't asking for his Yichas. He had a message. And the Chavos Chaim told him, let me tell you I'm a Kohen. And my father was a Kohen. Let me tell you why. Because when Moshe Rabbeinu came down and he said, Mi Lashem Eli, who is for Hashem? My Alta Zeta answered the call. And there's many variations to the story, but what I heard from Rabbi Schwab was, Rabbi Schein looked at him and he said, the next time HaKadosh Baruch Hu calls, answer the call. We have an opportunity this evening to listen to individuals, to talk to individuals who answered the call. People who are out there doing L'Shem Shemayim, L'Kavod Shemayim, and they answered the call. People who have answered the call. On a personal level, I've been involved in all of these causes over the years. These are causes that are very dear and near to my heart. Baruch Hashem, I've had the opportunity. I try to answer that call. And schedule tonight includes Jonathan Pollard, who answered the call. Unfortunately, he spent 30 years in prison because of it. He suffered because of it. Baruch Hashem. He and his wife, Oliver Shalom Esther, were able to come to Eretz Yisrael a year ago. Esther passed away after a long battle with cancer over many, many, many years. Uh, the Shloshim is next week. One of the things that we'll be doing when I'm in Eretz Yisrael. We have a chance to hear Jonathan Pollard talk about his wife, Esther Oliver Shalom. We're going to hear from Rav David Lau, the chief rabbi of Israel, about the situation going on now and all the fights with the government on, on Torah and Halacha. We're going to hear from Rav Shmuel Rabinovich, the Rafa Koto, to hear about the Koto situation. We're going to hear about Harazasim and the battles that are going on and things that are happening. And we're going to hear from my dear friend, Javier Knesset Yusuf Pindris, who is involved in so many of these things on behalf of Eretz Israel and Claudius Israel. And we'll also hear from 
Mrs. Leia Zegelbaum from the Aguda and from Am Echod about their one cultural campaign, which I am sure that all of you participated in. So sit back, join with us, hear what's going on in Israel, and thank you again for joining us in Headlines. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. We have the esteemed pleasure this evening to have on the line Rabbi David Lau, the chief rabbi of Israel, Chief Rabbi is involved today not only in the normal activities of the Chief Rabbi, but he's leading the the challenge, the battle against changes that are taking place or trying to take place in the Halakha and the Torah and things going on to Eretz Yisrael. Uh, we'll be moving into Hebrew, and the Rabbi will be speaking slowly, so hopefully everybody will understand. For the Rav Erev Tov, Todah Balach HaLazman, in Ashallah אני יודע שלפני שבועיים היה כנס רבנים, כנס ענק, רבנים מכל המקומות, מבני ברק, עד ישיבת הכותל, ורבני העיר וראש הישיבות. הרב יכול להסביר בדיוק מה הולך שם, מה העניינים, מה המלחמות שהרב לוחם הפעית בארץ. מה המצב? קודם כל שבוע טוב, ובשורות טובות, ואנחנו מקווים בכל זאת שגם נצליח בכל הדברים הללו. העיקרון הוא אבל דבר אחד, לצערי, אנחנו במדינת ישראל, במשך שנים היה כאן ויכוח עד כמה המדינה הזאת היא מדינה יהודית. עד כמה המדינה הזאת היא מדינה שיש בה גם את הביטוי של היהדות, או שזה רק מדינה של יהודים. הבעיה הגדולה היא שבעשר השנים האחרונות יש גופים יש ארגונים שמתארגנים לעקוב ולעבוד על המוסד ושמו מדינת כל אזרחיה. מדינת כל אזרחיה למחוק כל סממן יהודי, כל דבר של יהדות, ואנחנו על כך נאבקים, המאבקים לא פשוטים, בוודאי לא כאשר כל מיני חוקים שפוגעים ביהדות פוגעים בקשר של יהודים מסורתיים לכלל ישראל ולתורה, וכרגע על זה המאבק. אני חלק מהאנשים הללו אה, שנאבקים, הם נאבקים מתוך מטרה לפגוע ביהדות ולמחוק. חלק, אה, אולי אני אקרא לזה, משלים את עצמם בתמימות, שכביכול, אם הם אה, ילכו ביחד עם אותם הפוגעים, אז הם גם אה, יצליחו ויתקנו, ו- ואדרבה, ויקרבו יהודים. אנחנו יודעים שכשקוראים חלקים מהתורה, זו אשליה שמקרבים יהודים, זה לא אמיתי. ולצערי, על זה המאבק כרגע, אנחנו מדברים על גם כשרות, גם גיור, אבל בסופו של דבר הכל זה על היהדות. כן, אז מה המצב? אני ראיתי אתמול שאפילו בצבא, עכשיו אפשר להיכנס חומץ בפסח בצבא. זה חלק מהמאבק גם כן. נכון, אנחנו נמצאים במצב כל כך... 
מוזר של דברים שלא היינו רגילים אליהם. חמץ בפסח בצבא, חמץ בבתי חולים. יכול יהיה אדם לבוא לבית חולים, ועד היום כל בתי החולים היה השומר בכניסה, מוודא ושומר שאין חס ושלום, אין חמץ בכלים של אנשים, עכשיו מתירים להם, זה בסדר, הם יכולים לבוא, הם יכולים להביא חמץ. ועל ידי כך בעצם להקשות על יהודים שמירת כל דבר יהודי. לצערי, זה היום הפך להיות למאבק. ממש מאבק, ממש מלחמה, כואבת לי מאוד. זה ממש מאבק שאנחנו מנסים, ולפעמים גם אנחנו נמצאים במצב ש... אתה מדבר עם אנשים שחלקם לא מבינים את היהדות שלך. בדור הקודם, אז אתה, היה כבוד לרעבנים, היה כבוד ליהדות, היה גם זיכרון של ההורים, של הבית האבא ואימא. היום, לצערי, זה כבר פחות קיים. אם בדור הקודם לא היה בכלל שייך שיהודי ינסה להתחתן פה בארץ עם לא יהודייה, וזה היה דבר כל כך ברור, כל כך חד במשמעות, היום זה לא. היום אנחנו רואים נישואי תערובת שפה בארץ, ואנחנו משתדלים ועושים מאמץ לשמר. אני מוכרח לציין, אבל דבר חשוב, אני מגיע בארץ לפינות, לקיבוצים, ליישובים, מקומות רחוקים מאוד מאוד, של אין בהם יהדות ביום-יום. ולמרות זאת, הם שמחים לשמוע רב, לשמוע רב, והם מתווכחים. אבל מקשיבים ונמצאים, וזה דבר גדול וחשוב מאוד. לעומת זאת, אותם הארגונים מנסים ומפריעים כל הזמן, ופה הבעיה הגדולה של כולנו. אז מה אנשים בחור, אנשים שמקשיבים לשידור הזה, מה אנחנו יכולים לעשות? איך אנחנו יכולים לעזור? אני חושב שקודם כל להשמיע את הכול. להשמיע את כולכם. הם מנסים להשלות ולרמות ולהגיד כאילו יהדות התפוצות היא יהדות של רק, שיש ביהדות ארה״ב כביכול, רק רפורמים. כולנו יודעים הרי שזה לא נכון, כולנו הרי יודעים את האמת. והם מנסים לרמות, הם מנסים להשלות, ואם יהדות התפוצות תבוא ותאמר בצורה ברורה שלא מקובל עלינו הדברים הללו, שעבורנו אנחנו עם אחד ולא מוכנים לתת לאנשים שמשלים ומרמים כביכול שאנחנו לא אותו עם ואנחנו שומרים על המסורת, לא עוזבים את המסורת, לא עוזבים את העם היהודי, לא עוזבים את תורתו ואכפת לנו מהדורות הבאים אז אנחנו בצורה הזאת, אני חושב שאם יהדות התפוצות תשמיע את הכל אני רוצה להאמין שהקול הזה גם יגיע אל מי שאנחנו מקווים וממילא גם ישפיע אנחנו נעבור את המסד של הרב, אנחנו מחזקים את הרב, ואני באופן אישי מקווה לראות את הרב הלילה. בעזרת השם, בשמחה. תודה רבה, חזק ואמץ. תודה. ברוכים תהיו. We thank Chief Rabbi Rizzo, Rabbi David Lau, for his words. For those of you who may not have understood his Hebrew, allow me to just summarize what he had said. First, I, to, I welcomed him. I mentioned that I know that there was a kinus, a gathering of Rabbanim in support of the chief rabbinate two weeks ago. Eretz HaKodesh participated and co-sponsored that event. The uniqueness of that event in support of the chief rabbinate was the greatness and the, the big tents, as some people like to say, of people that were there who participated. A letter was read from Moran Ravkanyevsky Shlita. A letter was read from the Geir Rebbe Shlita. You had Rabbonim from Chachmei Shas, 
you had individuals, you had Rosh Yeshiva from many Yeshivas, including Yeshiva Takotel and Hezda Yeshivas. You had black hats and you had Kipasuga. You had rabbis of communities. It was a mix. It was Lech Kanoz as Kula Yehudim. It was a phenomenal so, so of support for the chief rabbi, and that which the chief rabbi is trying to maintain standards. In this case, specifically, it was about Geirut. Uh, the audience may know that there are supposed changes going on in the law, and that was what we were talking about with the chief rabbi. Chief rabbi commented that for many years there's been a battle going on on what is the definition of the state of Israel. Is it a Jewish state, or is it a state of Jews? The difference being, is it one that includes and supports Halacha, or is it one that is completely independent? And that's the battle going on, because people now want to change the rules of Gerus. And for those of you that are following the events, uh, that those rules will affect the standards of Gerus in Israel, and consequently the standards of Gerus throughout the world. And in recent events, the heads of Gerus commissions and the heads of Bedin and Rabbonim from across the world have come out strongly and said that they support the chief rabbinate. And if a conversion happens not under the auspices of the chief rabbinate, they will not accept. At that point, I commented that I saw this morning that the rules are changing. And it used to be that in Sava, in the IDF, one could not have chametz on Pesach. And now it becomes a personal matter. If a soldier wants to be in chametz, no one's going to say anything. And that's the, the chief rabbi commented the same thing as in hospitals. In hospitals, it used to be the guard would stop you and ask you, we don't allow chametz into the hospital, please don't be in chametz. Today, those things have changed because of the Supreme Court and other factors, and anybody can bring in anything they want, even Hamas and Pesach. At that point, I asked the chief rabbi, what can we do in the diaspora? And he responded the following, a message you're hearing throughout this broadcast, that the, the Israeli government is claiming diaspora jury wants this, and they have to respond to diaspora jury in order to guarantee the relationship between diaspora jury and Israel. And he says it's our responsibility, Torah jury's responsibility, to scream loud and clear that Orthodox jury, Torah jury, represents diaspora jury, and that diaspora jury wants the state of Israel to have the standards. We want the chief rabbinate to be strong. We want it to be a Jewish nation. So, once again, as you're hearing on this broadcast, we individually, collectively, group line, talk to your rabbis, talk to your yeshivas, make the noise. We have to get the message out to the state of Israel, to the governments, to the people there, that this is not what diaspora jury wants. If we want a future for the state of Israel, it must be built on Torah and halacha. As you've heard through, again through this broadcast, I am presently in Israel participating in the Am Echad mission, and the Am Echad mission, the purpose is exactly that. We met with the current prime minister, previous prime minister, the president, members of the cabinet, members of the opposition, and that's the message we are giving, that diaspora jury is represented here by the Orthodox, by the people who send their children to Israel, who invest in Israel, who visit Israel, who spend their money in Israel. This is us. Unfortunately, the liberal movements do not come to Israel, do not support Israel, and it's only the leadership of the liberal movements who are making this noise, because unfortunately, liberal movements, as we like to say, the liberal movements, Israel is the country they don't go to, the Kotel is the place they don't daven at, and therefore, why are we making changes for them? So once again, we thank the Chief Rabbi, Rabbi David Lau, for joining us, and we will do whatever we can to support him and the standards he has set. Thank you. 
We have the the honor at this at this time to welcome Rav Shmuel Rabinovich. He's the chief rabbi of the Kotel and Holy Mekomotak Doshim, and uh, somebody who's not only been involved in building up the Kotel over so many years and overlooking, perfecting it and opening it up in the archaeology and so many things that he's doing. Many of us have met with him and seen him over the over, over the years. At the moment, though. He's in the middle of what we know as the Ma'avak, the battle for the Kotel, keeping the Kotel traditional, fighting against those that want to change the makeup of the Kotel, which we've talked about during this uh, radio show many times. So we want to give Rabbanovich the opportunity to explain to us what's going on, to share with us his insight, and maybe and hopefully advise us what we in Chutzkoros can do to assist him. Okay, Kvodorav, Bakasha. Shalom uvracha. שלום שלום לכל המאזינים, שלום לך הרב פסח לרנר שעושה כל כך הרבה לקשר את יהדות התפוצות עם ארץ ישראל, עם ארץ הקודש, עם יהודי ארץ ישראל. אשריכם שאתם עושים עבודת קודש כזאת, כי אנחנו עם אחד, בני אברהם, יצחק ויעקב. כולנו יש לנו תורה אחת, המכנה המשותף של כולנו הוא הרבה יותר גדול מהמפריד בינינו ואנחנו משתדלים כאן בכותל לקבל כל יהודי באשר הוא. לפני הקוביד, לפני הקורונה, היו בכותל 12 מיליון יהוד... אנשים בשנה, יהודים וואו. ולא יהודים, 12 מיליון אנשים. אנשים באים לכאן כדי להתפלל, כדי להתחבר להיסטוריה של העם היהודי, כדי להתחבר לשרשרת הדורות הנצחית שעמדה בכאלה מצבים קשים, שלחמה במסירות נפש על היהדות שלה, על כך שהיא רצתה לשרוד כדי לעבוד את הקדוש ברוך הוא. הכותל המערבי נותן לנו את הכוח ונותן לנו את המשמעות להבין מבחינת זכור ימות עולם בינו שנות דור ודור, ללמוד, להבין איך דור אחרי דור של העם היהודי שרד מול כל כך הרבה קשיים. ולכן הכותל הוא מקום מאחד, מקום שבו כל יהודי יכול להרגיש ביהדותו. כאן אין הבדל בין אשכנזים לספרדים, בין חילוניים לדתיים, בין עדה כזאת וחוג כזה, בין סוגים של אנשים. כאן כולם... כאיש אחד בלב אחד. ואנשים שחושבים ושומעים על קבוצות קיצוניות כאלה ואחרות, צריך לדעת שרוב עם ישראל מגיע לכותל, לכותל עם המחיצה, לכותל העתיק, לכותל עם אותה מסורת ישראל, עם אותו מורשת ישראל. וברוך השם, באמת אנחנו זוכים כל יום לגלות עוד היסטוריה. יש פה תגליות חדשות. מסלול חדש של מנהרות הכותל המערבי, מתחת לגשר שחיבר לפני אלפיים שנה בין העיר העליונה, איפה שגרו היהודים, להר הבית, איפה שהיה בית המקדש השני. מתחתיו אולמות, מקוואות טהרה, קדושה, רחוב מתקופת בית שני, חנויות, היסטוריה. פה אתה נוגע בהיסטוריה של העם היהודי. אתה הולך איפה שהלך רבן יוחנן בן זכאי, איפה שהלכו תנאים ואמוראים. אתה ממשש היסטוריה, נוגע בהיסטוריה. איזה זכות יש לנו להיות בשנים כאלה שאבותינו חלמו על הכותל. תמונות של הכותל היה להם. ואנחנו זוכים לגעת. כל יהודי צריך להגיע לכאן, להביא את הילדים שלו לכאן, לחבר אותם לכאן. 
כדי שהם יבינו את הזהות היהודית שלהם, את המשמעות היהודית שלהם. זה התפקיד שלנו. אנחנו באמת, לצערנו הגדול, גם נאבקים לפעמים מול קבוצות קטנות מאוד, שדורשות לפגוע במאחד של הכותל המערבי. הם גם אמרו, הכריזו לפני כמה שבועות, הם לא מחפשים את הכותל. לא קרבת אלוקים חשוב להם, אלא זה פלטפורמה, מקום, שבו דרכו הם רוצים לשנות את הזהות היהודית בארץ ישראל, ואולי בעולם כולו. הכותל הוא לא מקום של הפגנות, הכותל הוא לא מקום של מחיצות, הכותל הוא מקום של עם ישראל כאיש אחד בלב אחד. הכותל הוא מקום שבו כל אחד צריך לקחת חלק ולהרגיש בו בבית. משל למה הדבר דומה. אמא יש סבא וסבתא. שיש להם ילדים, ונכדים, ונינים, שהתפזרו בכל תפוצות העולם. אחד באוסטרליה, ואחד בהונגריה, אחד בארצות הברית, ואחד ברוסיה. וכל אחד יש לו את המנהגים שלו, את הסוג חיים שלו. ופתאום, כאן, הם רוצים להגיע עכשיו, הסבא, לאחל, להזמין את כל הנכדים והנינים. אם כל אחד ינהג כמנהג שלו, אין קיום להיות בבית אחד. בבית של סבא, כולם נוהגים כמו המנהג של סבא. אותם זמירות, אותם מנהגים, אותם הלכות, אותו אוכל, גם כאן בכותל המערבי. אנחנו נוהגים כולם כמו מנהג סבא. הסבא של כולנו נהג להתפלל עם מחיצה, עם קדושה, עם טהרה, כמו מנהגים של דורי דורות. וזה הבסיס שאיתו אנחנו הולכים. אנחנו לא מתלהמים, אנחנו לא פוגעים באחרים, אנחנו לא מדברים נגד אחרים. אנחנו רוצים לשמור. מבחינת והיה מחנך הקדוש. הלל אומר, הווי מתלמידיו של אהרון, אוהב שלום ורודף שלום, אוהב את הבריות ומקרבן לתורה. גם אהרון הכהן, גם בית הלל, שכל כך משתמשים בהם, מה הם אומרים? ומקרבן לתורה. לא מקרבים את התורה לאנשים שעדיין לא שומרי תורה ומצוות קלה כבחמורה. מקרבים אותם אל התורה. תורה לא משתנית. תורת... תורת ישראל היא תורת נצח, שמרה על עם ישראל ותשמור על עם ישראל כל הדורות. כן, תודה, תודה. אנחנו מקווים בעזרת השם שכולם יבואו לכאן, יתמכו ויחזקו את הכותל המערבי וישמרו על אחדותו, וחס ושלום לא ייפגע קדושת הכותל המערבי. כולם יבואו כאן לסייר, לגעת בהיסטוריה. אנחנו קוראים עכשיו את פרשיות השבוע של הקמת המשכן. ניקח בלבבי משכן נבנה. נבנה כולנו בית לקדוש ברוך הוא בליבותינו, עדיי עד שנזכה לראות את הבית השלישי במהרה בימינו אמן. תודה. תודה תודה. אני מקווה שהכותל המערבי לא יהיה מקום של מלחמה בראש חודש הקרוב, ביום שישי הקרוב, והוא יהיה מקום של אחדות, ושהם יניחו לכותל המערבי מהמחלוקות. אני באמת לא יודע עדיין להעריך, אנחנו עושים כל מאמץ כדי שחס ושלום לא יקרה כאן מאבקים שממש מיותרים. אני חושב שההנהגה הישראלית מבינה שהמצב לא טוב, ו... 
וצריך להפסיק את זה. אני מקווה שהם יהיו ממושמעים. גם אני מקווה. יישר כוח. תחזק לידיכם הרב לרנר. אמן. תודה. להתראות. תודה. להתראות. תודה. ג'ונסון פאולוס. אסתר הייתה נפטרת עד 868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868868
There's a terrible war coming. It'll be worse than anything you could imagine. And I won't be here to help you. The fact that a war is coming here is not a surprise. We're always facing that horrible prospect. But the fact that she told me that she wouldn't be here by my side got my attention very quickly. And she took my hands and she said, listen to me. She said, there's a wall surrounding Eretzisrael. And it has a very small entryway into it. And she called that entryway the Shah HaRabanut. And the wall, she said, was Halach. Inside the wall, she said, what, what it's protecting is the arm, the purity of the arm. Why, she said? Because in order to bring about the Giyola, we have to generate the requisite amount of Emunan, Bikachon, and Achim to show Hashem that we can form a real Jewish government with a real Jewish army, with real Jewish government to fight these wars out to be for the land and our future and for Halacha. And she says, if Hashem sees this, he'll take over. And the dealer will come, she said, please God with a kiss and not a smash. She said, the role of the Shah HaRabanut is to check people who want to join us. They have to ask the simple questions, just like at border control of international airports, she said. Where was you born? Who is your father? Who is your mother? You kept in its vault. Because she said the greatest threat to the um, in her belief, strong belief, was not the Iranian bomb, it wasn't Hezbollah with their rockets, it wasn't Hamas with their fire balloon. She said the greatest threat the greatest threat to the um and our ability to bring up the 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 are those that want to infiltrate and divide us. And she splayed her hands out and she said, You can't fight when your hand is divided like this. And she curled it into a fist. And she said, Only with Akadot faith in Shem. Are we going to bring about this viola in the right way? So she would ask people some very curious questions. She would ask them, do you feel your brother's pain? Not theoretically, but she would really press them, do you feel your brother's pain as if it's your own? And she would ask them then a second question, do you feel the pain of the land? Because for her, the land is a living thing. It's Eretz HaKodesh. If it hurts, we hurt. We're connected to it. If we hurt, the land hurts. And this was at a time when we were getting our fields in the Negev were burning from the fire balloons that Hamas were sending over. And um, people, you know, would just look at her like, what are you talking about? You know, do you feel the pain of the land? The second or the third thing she would ask, you feel the pain of our children when they're running to the bomb shelters. You know, they know these little kids know 10 seconds. And she said... This fear of the children, if you, if you could feel that, this fear of our future, because the Yaladin, our children, are our future. So she said, what I'm asking you is, do you feel the fear for our future? And she would tell people, if you don't answer these three questions correctly, she said, you're not answering as a Jew. Wow. You have some, you have some issues, some very, what, very serious issues. What were people's response to those comments? A lot of them didn't understand the words she was saying. Do you feel the pain of your brothers? This is not something unique that Esther brought up. You know, she learned her whole life 
This is an idea that Rashi talked about. You know, can you feel the pain of your brother? Really feel. If you can't, uh, what are you? Who are you? The question especially about can you feel the pain of the land? People, a lot of people just didn't understand at all what she was talking about. For her, Eretz was holy, it was, but it was living. And we are and we are connected. And if people didn't understand that, then she really looked at them quite skeptically as far as their credentials were concerned. And the last one, as far as the children were concerned, this is kind of euphemism that she used or an analogy that she would use for our future because the children are our future. And if people didn't understand the need to defend the walls of Halacha and to defend the gate, the Shah HaRabanut, to ensure that our future children would be Jews, real Jews, God-fearing, mitzvah-following Jews. And she said, these people are coming in, infiltrating to the others, and to prevent us from generating the requisite amount of emunah and bitachon necessary to bring about the view of So Was she talking? Was she talking? Hmm? Was she talking because she knew current events? Or was this her sixth sense? Of what um, uh, Eretz Israel needs. She knew, she knew, she knew current events better than, than most people. When she would talk about things like this, it was, she was somewhere else. She was absolutely somewhere else. Focused, very clear, but clearly somewhere else. Look, I asked her once, this is, this is a good example of how focused she was. I asked her, look, I'm in prison. I can't call, you know, my Rav, Kavot to ask him questions. I mean, I mean, I'm living in a new type of society where all our ethics, everything, I mean, everything is upside down. But you would accept in prison, you would certainly reject in normal society. And I have to be part of this society, but at heart at the same time. I can't call my love. I can't call you. And I couldn't call her. I said, how am I, con- how am I supposed to conduct myself? So she said, I want you to look at your hand. So I looked at my hand and she said, what do you see? I said, I see my hand. She said, no, look deeper. I said, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to see. She said, you're supposed to see your predecessors all the way back to Matantara in your hand, in the palm of your hand. And they are sitting in judgment. She said, many of them died al and Many of them suffered horribly to observe our faith. At great pain and great suffering, they observed our faith and our mitzvot. And they are sitting in judgment of you. So if you have to make a decision, you look at your hand and you see these generations going back to Matan Torah and they're imploring you to do the right thing and to safeguard the next generation, your generation, by doing the right thing, by doing the Jewish thing. Jonathan, Esther, yes. we've been together, working together, friends, family for a lot of years. What motivated her? And she didn't have a lot of money. Esther, we have, no, didn't have Esther, a lot of money. Didn't have Esther a lot of saw, friends, a lot no, of antagonists. Esther, a lot. Look, Esther, Esther saw in me a fight for the Jewish soul. I, I was basically a test for Amish crime, basically. And a lot of people failed. A lot of people failed. She said my test was to emerge from prison as a whole, complete, unified Jew, and to come home in that condition. And it took 30 years. It wasn't easy. I, vi- no, it wasn't, I visited you a hundred times. I know that prison. 
And even what I know is just the outside of the visiting room. How do you handle the inside? Well, the inside, basically, she helps me with. A lot of prisoners live on hate. And you can live a long time on hate, but it leaves you a husk of a human at the end of the day. You have nothing to live for. The hate consumes you. She gave me a reason to live for love. A love for her, a love for my fellow Jews, a love for the land, a love for Torah. She always said, remember, when you're in prison, there are three things you have to remember. Am Yisrael, Ba'arat Yisrael, Yisrael. And she said, you have to come home to live their belief. You have to come home a complete Jew. When people would come up to her and say to her, look, you know, we've written to this person and that person. We've, you know, done all kinds of things. She would ask, I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Do you daven for my husband? Yes. Do you say tefillah for my husband? Yes. She said, this is all Hashem wants because he has a cost shell to feel. And when that cost is filled, it shows, she said, that the Am put their faith in him and not in man. And she said, when that cost is filled, you'll come home. And she said, it may take a long time, but she said, it's worth the effort. But she said, you have to come home as a real Jew. And she said, that will be a victory for all of us. What do you tell those people now? I was at the Shiva a couple of weeks back. I flew into the Shiva. And you and I on occasion looked at each other. There were people who came to Menachem Oval that uh, weren't there for Esther when she needed them. Weren't there for you. And we looked at them and said, you know, we were thinking like, now they come? Where they've been all the way through? I was amazed. You know I was amazed a lot, at their ability. A lot, of those people, a lot of those people did come, but we didn't see it. That's why this post shelter funeral is so important. Okay? There were other people who came who basically came out of embarrassment, and they could have done a lot of good. They couldn't. Jonathan, we got you on the phone. You shared with Esther stories with Esther, I can add, I can tell you that, you know, you and I have talked about that. She lived in Amuna. She used to stay at a hotel in Butner, come visit you. It wasn't even a Hotel 6. It was a Hotel 1. Because there, were nothing fancy. Than that. there was nothing fancier in Butner. She took a lot of abuse from a lot of people for herself, for your behalf, and uh, she took it in stride. And uh, now we begin to understand who she was and what she was. So, what are your plans now? I mean, uh, she, she came to Hashem, she came to Israel, she made you, she brought you. Um, what are you, uh, how are you going to, what do you think you're going to do to maintain her memory? How are we going to make sure that we never forget the Esther Pollard that we knew then and we know now? What do you want us, the audience, what do you think we can do to to Nishmosa, to her remembrance? Not, I think the most, the most important thing in terms of remembering her, to act on her core beliefs. Build up your emotion. Build up, build up your faith in the coming of Geulah. That it's a function of your bitachon in emunah. Don't look to other people. Be responsible for yourself under heaven. You can help people. That's what she was about. You can help people with their emunah and bitachon. But you have to walk the walk. And I think that's one of the most important things you can do to keep my wife's memory alive. You have to remember what she lives for. She actually lives for the Gila. And she felt my coming home by virtue of the close 
Shaltikhilot, of all the people, would build up this Emonan Bitochon and would accelerate the Gila. And that's what we need to focus on right now. We're being bombarded, she used to say, by all kinds of threats from within, from without. And she said, we have to love our brothers and sisters. We can't question them. We can't attack them. We have to live a life that brings honor to Hashem. Wow. This is we, the, the we, best way. This is the best way to remember her. She was all about Achdut. She took me to Gula and she said, look at these people. They don't dress like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you, but they are your brothers and they are your sisters. And you have to respect them. You have to honor them. And you have to appreciate the fact that these are the people in Gula and Minnesota that kept our faith alive for 2,000 years. They are the ones that we owe a great debt to. And she took me to Tel Aviv, the places I didn't think she knew about. And she said, you see these people here? They don't look like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you. But they are your brothers and sisters. And you have to be gentle with them and kind with them. And you have to remember, they may be lost, but it's your obligation to welcome them back by kindness and by good living. They are your brothers and sisters. Don't forget that. It's this kind of belief in the, in the innate goodness of our people that my, my wife lived by. And she presented my case as an opportunity for people to act on their, on their charitable faith because she said that's what will impress us in, this kind of akhdut. We called, okay? We called to hear about so, Esther. He gave you words of Chizuk and never expected that you would give us what we call in the yeshiva world the Muslim Shmuz, a lesson on ethics. And all I can say is on behalf of all of Kla Yisrael, she worked on our behalf, she passed away on our behalf, and Kla should give you the strength to continue on her mission and your mission. And we should be Zoka together to bring that Geula Shlema that she know and she believes so strong was coming. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. It's my pleasure to introduce to our audience the Vice President of Communications and Agudas Israel, the U.S. Director of Amechod, and if I may take the liberty, the brains behind the recent One Cultural Campaign. So, Mrs. Leia Zegelbaum, you also in Eretz Israel, as I am for the Amechod Mission. So, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Good. Let's get down to business. In America and across the world, we just saw the success of this One Cultural Campaign. Can you tell us what it is, what it was, what was the purpose, what was the results? Uh, it's all yours. Sure, thank you. Okay, so the One Cultural Campaign is not so much a campaign as much as it was a mechanism. As we started hearing what was happening in Ancestral, what the plans were for the Kozal, the Kotel Compromise, and more than that, the plans on gear, on kosher, on Shabbos, all the changes that were being proposed, there was a lot of pain across the diaspora. And especially when it was presented that these changes were being made in consultation with the diaspora, and because this is what quote, diaspora Jews want. And the campaign was more a mechanism to give American, European, Mexican Jews the ability to easily let the Israeli government know how we felt about these changes. We felt that it was the simplest to focus on the Kaisal, one Kosel, one Kotel, however you say it, it doesn't matter, it's all the same thing. Um, but tell the government that we don't want that change and we want 
just keep the standards the same. We want one united cholesterol. So we rolled out this portal that gave the ability for somebody to go on and add their name with a single simple click and either sign on to a form standard message or compose their own and tell the Israeli government exactly how they felt about these issues. And what was the result, the success? How many people did it you was, reach? It was stunning, and not just in, num- in sheer numbers. It was stunning because of the way that it unfolded. It started as a little trickle. It started friend to friend. The people who were first involved and who were trying to put it together, let their friends know that this was going to be available even before it went live. And people shared it. And we watched that it, it, it was shared on, um, on social media. It was shared friend to friend. And we watched it spread through communities. There was a field. We asked everybody who signed on to please say where they were from because we felt that it was very important that the government understand that who's being represented here. These are not nameless names. This is a kid from Chicago. This is a kid from Melbourne. This is a kid from Los Angeles. And we watched the this. It sort of cycled and it went from community to community and there was a steady drumbeat of somewhere between three and five or seven thousand signups a day but literally washed across the globe. And by the end of the six weeks that the campaign ran, we had over 150,000 people going onto the site and saying, please leave the Kreisel the way it is. Can you, I know, Antikodesh was part of it. We were proud to be part of it. I think between our direct and indirect, we put in close to 30,000 signatures, but more important, Tell everybody, let us know how many cities, how many countries. There's a lot more to this than just 150,000 names. It represented a phenomenal amount more. Can you talk about it? Well, if we're going to talk numbers, so there were 56 countries, starting with, if I did this alphabetically, Argentina, Australia, Austria, Belarus, Belgium, Bolivia, Brazil, all the way down to Venezuela. There were 932 cities. The, the, the material was translated into Spanish, into French. It was available in Hebrew. The Yiddish-speaking communities turned to us and asked us if we could um, turn it into Yiddish, and they went to a, a population that doesn't necessarily use the internet as much as some other communities, and they sent representatives to schools with physical sign-up lists. We also opened up a phone line because there were people who said, look, we don't have that easy internet access we want to be able to call. In some ways, those entries were the most inspiring because people left messages of thanks. They left messages of plea to the Israeli government, and they also left messages of thanks to the organizers of the of the phone line saying how grateful they were that they now had the ability to have their voices heard. Eretz HaKodesh was an important part of this campaign because you mobilized the um, American community that you're in touch with and you did bring in a significant number. You reached out to people that responded to you, so I thank you for that. Thank you. But let me, let's, let's go back to grass tech. We co- you collected 150,000 signatures, petitions, what else? What did you do with it? Did it make a difference? Is just a piece of paper, or do you feel in our meetings that we've had the last couple of days with uh, the Prime Minister and the previous Prime Minister and, and a lot of other members of Knesset, members of government, so tell us uh, the experience and uh, 
Do you feel that it made, it made a difference? Okay, so those are two separate questions. First, what did we do with it, and then did it make a difference? So I do want to explain to people what we did with it, because there was some question about, oh, I'm just clicking, and what does my name mean? So that click did not automatically generate an email. What it did is it sent the information into a holding place. And then we had teams of people that were sorting through that information and making sure that there were no duplicates, that there was nothing that was um, unintended or maybe um, that shouldn't be included. And they were then deduped, sorted out, and then sent to Prime Minister Bennett via email. But we, we understood that sending is not the same as receiving. So those emails were then turned into um, a PDF and print documents, and that was the basis of the, the delivery to the Prime Minister here in the United States. Our, I'm sorry, excuse me, the Prime Minister in, the, in, in Israel. So this delegation that we're now on, this mission to Israel, one of the key components is to physically bring to Israel that message that we represent 150,000 Jews of the diaspora who stand with us in our plea to the government to not change the status quo um, in these issues, not in the Kaisal, not in Giyar, not in Shabbos, not in Kashrus. Um, did it make a difference? I believe it made a tremendous, tremendous difference because we've been a very quiet force. We've been there and the Israeli government is looking at diaspora Jews and they're thinking based on old information or information that's presented differently. It, you know, the standard conventional wisdom is that American Jews are reform or conservative. Progressive egalitarian services is what they want. And there's not a, a, a comfortable understanding of what the community looks like. You're from America, you know, you know, you know Lakewood, you know Baltimore, you know the yeshiva communities, you know from Borough Park, Williamsburg, Muncie, Chicago, Florida, you know that there's thriving centers of Jewish life. And we can't expect every Israeli politician to understand what American Jewry looks like. We hope that we'll be able to bring them to America and show it to them firsthand and maybe deepen their understanding of something that they've only begun to realize. Is this mission successful? I think that we have changed the conventional wisdom in a tiny way. We have a tremendous amount left to do in order to bring that message fully home. Okay, let me, hear, let me ask you a very hard-hitting question. I mean, I'm on the mission. A lot of other important people are here. But in a certain sense, by the time we got here, it seemed to be that the government had backed down. Now, it could be because of the petitions we were sending or everything else. But did we come on the scene too late? Or do you feel that we made an impact, a more lasting impact? That's a good question, Robert Lerner. Did we come on the scene too late? We can never say that it's too late. Wherever we're up to, that's when we have to jump in and do what we can. Did we? Did this sign-on petition make a difference in the decision to shelve the compromise? I hope so. I think so. We didn't stop the campaign then, as you said, because of two reasons. First of all, the confidence that it was really over, the, the way that everything's been flip-flopping here. For all we know, today it's stable, tomorrow it's not. But more importantly, the Kaisal, as I said in the beginning, is a symbol of everything that we believe in and the Yadus and the Yiddishkeit that we want to retain at least the status quo. So what we were asking for is, do you stand with us? Is this an issue that matters to you? And when we go and we represent this constituency, when we represent 150,000 Yidin to the Israeli government, it's not just about the Kaisal. It is about the Yergi, or maybe the most important issue of the day right now. Um, so there was no reason to stop that campaign. No, I, I agree. Now, let me tell you from my perspective. 
Baruch Hashem, I'm involved in these, these issues for many, many years. The Kaiso and the Reform and Eretz Kodesh went into the uh, Israeli national institutions exactly this, to represent the Haredi vote, to tell the community, to tell the, the Jewish agency and Kakao and the World Zionist Organization that we are the most active. We are the ones that are going to be, unfortunately, the other ones are not going to be around in the future under into marriage and assimilation. And I say that with pain. So I understand. But let me tell you from my perspective, something you didn't mention about this campaign that I think is extremely important. I don't think we've seen in ages a campaign that Claudius Israel came out. You had videos of Rosh Hashivas and Rebbes, and you talked about countries that I didn't even know they were Jews, Orthodox Jews. Okay, You woke up. This campaign, I think, woke up Claudius Israel. Claudius Israel responded. Okay, and we finally got the message across, which is, I think, the message of the Amichod organization, right? That we're responsible for Achenu B'nai Israel in Eretz Israel. And we have a responsibility. From my perspective, it's an American problem, right? The typical Israeli is, is Misorati, is traditional. They want the Kotel the way it is. This issue is coming from the reform and conservative movements in America. And if it's coming from conservative movements in America, we, the American Orthodox community, have responsibility to respond. But I want to go back to the point. You woke up Kalal Yisrael. You made Kalal Yisrael aware that we do have this responsibility. You made Kalal Yisrael aware that we can do something. I think that, in addition to everything else you mentioned, from my perspective, is a phenomenal accomplishment. And I want to give you, because I know how much work you put into it, Trust me, I know right, how much you and your staff put into this. And I want to compliment you and give you a yashikara because you should have continued strength because, unfortunately, the battle isn't over. The battle has just begun. But we're awake now. We're fighting. We're responding. We're educating. So on behalf of Klai Yisrael, on behalf of the Kotel HaMaravi, on behalf of everyone else that we speak to, thank you for this campaign. I know that you will be continuing strongly in this battle. And we should be zeicher with siyata de shemaya, that a kodesh should look down and say, "Ah, oh, my children care. If they care, I'm going to finish the job." Any closing words? Rabbi thank you. Closing words. I'd like to echo your pain. I agree with you. This is a fight against the leadership of reform and conservative. It's a fight to Yiddishkeit, but we welcome all reform and conservative people to come to the Kaisal, to Davin, to come closer. That's number one. And number two, thank you for this opportunity because, yes, we did work hard. There is so much more to do, but this has been such a rewarding thing to be involved in, and I thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Joining us at this time is the well-known Jewish leader and activist, formerly of Agudas Yisrael, founder of Kosher Fest, and founding co-chairman of the International Committee for Har Hazesim, Menachem Lubinsky. Menachem, from Yushalayim, I can sense that something is exciting is happening in Yushalayim next week. Can you share with, share with us what's going on? Yes, something very historic is happening uh, on March the 6th when our international committee was working for 10 years to build a visitor education center on Harazesim. Uh, we will be signing an agreement with the um, the municipality of Yerushalayim, which are headed by Mayor Moshe Leon, and uh, the government of Israel, which will be represented by Minister Zev Elkin, uh, to build this uh, magnificent visitor center, which will be a place that 
people will be able to learn a lot more about Harazesim, about the history, about people that are buried there, about yard sites, about everything else. And uh, it will also be a, there will be a permanent police station in there. What it will do, it will for the first time bring the real security to Harazesim after we've, we've managed to uh, convince the government to put up 176 surveillance cameras, gating, fixing the infrastructure, uh, having a police station there and having uh, the border police there on a regular basis. We're now going to have this building will bring at least a million visitors a year with a police station. It'll bring the security. It is amazing that the only cemetery that doesn't have real security is the, is the most important cemetery for the Jewish people. It is the international cemetery of the Jewish people. We estimate that at least Jews from 40 countries are buried there and as many as 10,000 just from America out of the 150,000 Jews that are buried there. Of course, it goes back to the Nevi'im. You have there many, many of, of, the, of the tzaddikim of the past, many of the Hasidim many of the Rosh Yeshivas, it, 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 it is a place, there is no other place that you can walk through Jewish history from the times of the Nevi'im all the way up to modern times today in the state of Israel because Menachem Begin is buried there in one place and that is in the cemetery. But were it not for us that started this effort in 2010, the Arab encroachment was going to be so, so that they would have been on the gates of Yerushalayim by Pisgat Zev. It is only these 150,000 Kedoshim that are buried there that have halted the Arab expansion in, in East Jerusalem and putting up this building, the first time that, it, that the Jewish state and, and, and the Jewish community has put up a building, who knows, since the times of the Beis Amigdash, and finally bringing the ultimate security, that is a very, very historic day, and I think everyone who, who understands the Kedusha and the importance of, of Yerushalayim will get goosebumps at the thought that we're finally, finally bringing security to the entire area. It is called, the way over there is called Derech Beis Lechem. The ways have to be secure. It is in a bad neighborhood. It's uh, surrounded by many Arab communities, but that is not a terrorist for giving our main holy cemetery facing the Harabayas, where the Kahanim got dressed, where the, the ashes of the Paradumal were thrown, where the new Chaydish was proclaimed. That that cemetery should be the least secure. We're going to make it the most secure. Rabbi Nachum, I don't think our listeners will remember. Let's go back 10 years. How many people didn't go visit it? How many Hasidim well, and Talmudim didn't go visit their Rosh Hashimah's Christmas security? That has changed because of your effort. Because of our efforts, so you were part of it, Pesach, and uh, very much uh, an important force in bringing us to this point. And I want to give you a big yashikaya for that, as you are in so many other endeavors in Jewish life. But yes, there, there was a time where, where the police reports, I used to receive the police reports, and there were between 50 and 100 graves desecrated each week. And people were stoned on a regular basis where soccer matches were going on, where it was the drug capital of the of East Jerusalem. I mean, it, there is no comparison. The official police count in 2014 was that there were 200 visitors a day. Today it is over 2,000 a day. And in Yer Hashem, we hope that, that everyone will go there, not only as a point of um, uh, giving uh, respect to all the tradition that are buried there, but really appreciating over time. I mean, where where can you find an Afghanistan chalik that Afghanistan Jews bought a Chelka there to, be, to bury their people and brought them all the way from Afghanistan to there. Where can you find, for example, people that came right off, the, came right from the Shoah and fought fought in the War of Independence? And there's a Chelka that's buried for there. Where can you find all the Slobodka founders? Where can you find the Gera Rebbes, the Beis Yisrael and the Leif Simcha? And where can you find the Zvila Rebbe? Where can you find Chazan Yasser Rosenblatt? I can go on and on and on. 
it is one place where you can go and, and be mispalal and get to know Jewish history. And Mir Hashem, with this visitor center that we're putting up, together with the government, we are uh, equal partners in this endeavor, and there were many, many people that came forward and helped, and of course, we're still not there yet. We still need additional help from people. In Yes Hashem, this will be something that, just like people go to, to the Kaisel, they will make sure to go there. We've spoken to the IDF. Every soldier usually goes to the Kaisel before the, the, he's commissioned as a soldier. Every class goes there. Yes Hashem, they will do the same in Harazason, which now, on the, on the left side of the mountain, is lined with buses that go to the Christian churches, and in the on the right side, it's desolate, but we're going to change that immeasurably on March the 6th with the signing of this historic agreement. The theme of this podcast this evening is that individuals can make a difference. Not only can individuals make a difference, individuals have an achorayas to get involved. And yashikoyach to you, Rabbi Menachem, and your brother, Ravram, and your whole committee that have worked tirelessly to make this day happen. And with continued tziyat we will see the Mashiach coming soon from Harazasim section. Thank you very Amen. much. And a, a bracha to all of your holy and exciting efforts that you're doing for Kedushas, not only for Kedushas Yerushalayim, but for Kedushas Eretz Yisrael. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are calling from Yerushalayim, where our show is taking place this week, and I have the honor and privilege of introducing our listenership to Javier Knesset Halav Yitzhak Pindras. Rav Pindras is chairman of the Begulatora Party, an activist. He knows what's going on in the community, and he is leading the fight to protect and defend Torah Judaism in Eretz Israel. He's a personal friend, and it's a, indeed a pleasure to welcome him to the show tonight. Rav Yitzhak, Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem, Rav Pesach, and I have to say for me, it's a big honor and a big pleasure to be with you and your Shalim. And the Chlal and the, all your activities all around the year and the world. Thank you. We know the issues in Eretz Israel today are serious. I'm not discussing the security. I'm not discussing Iran. I'm discussing Yehudut, Yiddishkeit. We're being attacked from all sides. And you are one of the people standing up storm. Can you share with the, with the, the listenership? What are the battles going on? What is happening? What should we be aware of? And maybe you have some ideas at the end what we can be doing. We have to say, now it's around the last year, has been going on a, a strong battle from a, a power that's coming from outside of the country. Uh, they call it pluralism. They call it the, uh, uh, being more uh, uh, open-minded, uh, trying to change the, the culture over here. The culture of Judaism, of marriage, of, of uh, what, is, what is tradition, and, and mainly because the Jews in Israel are becoming a lot more from, becoming a lot more attached tight. And there's an ongoing battle for the last couple of years. And like I said, it's financed by a lot of uh, outside funds, organizations, groups, power. The problem, the biggest challenge now is that uh, these... Uh, People that are running this battle for years gained the official government in Eretz Israel. Starting from uh, what they call uh, reform, there was never a reform uh, guy in the Knesset today. There's reform in the Knesset, there's conservative in the Knesset, uh, uh, there's all these uh, left wing, uh, very uh, left wing, and uh, that are very anti uh, being, you know, anything should have to do with. Uh, Israel being a Jewish state or being Jewish and uh, uh, trying to uh, push that. And that's something that we're going on. 
and the, the new orthodox also that are in the government, all these uh, things, biggest their challenge in almost every issue you touch, if it's gayers, kashas, marriage, uh, parents, everything, uh, the, the, the Jewish home, see, not every issue you touch, they're trying to decide. The council, of course, everybody knows. I mean, all these issues are... And almost on a daily, daily base, a battle. Uh, th- this week, Sunday, the government passed a decision on the Gerus. Uh, uh, we're talking about uh, the Kashas was passed a month ago. These issues are going out every day, and all these groups are trying to get in uh, uh, with their uh, power and to use it now, the power they have in the government. Are you talking about groups within Israel or groups no, coming into Israel no. from out of Israel? Mainly, mainly... Groups again. The, the, these groups. I, I, I'll give you an example. Okay. I started a, a that you were there the first meeting uh, a, a lobby for the diaspora uh, Judaism, the diaspora Judaism, and mainly to bring the voice. Uh, what the uh, Eretz Hakodesh is trying to bring the whole time that the uh, the national uh, uh, institutions that the, the Jews around the world are not reforming conservative. They're either Orthodox, some of them are not uh, so much affiliated, and there is also a Reform Conservative, but that's not the most of the Jewish activity around the world, it's for sure Orthodox activity. And uh, we made a lobby, and there's a Rodman uh, uh, fund that, that came from the United States, that opened especially with the chairman of the Knesset, which has connections with before, with uh, other people in the Knesset, a lobby called to shred the, the connection between the, Ju- the Judaism in the United States, and it's a reform foundation from America that's sponsoring it, pushing it, doing everything for it. And, and that's one example. I could think, you know, as much as you want examples, they're doing, using, uh, using all these organizations, all these left-wing organizations to try to push in their uh, agendas at their show. And now, with the big power that they have a government to back. What about the Haredi parties in the Knesset? Are they able to do anything? Or why aren't they able to do anything? I, 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 I'll say in two ways. First of all, uh, we have a great test, I have to say, Siyat uh, that the government in the Knesset are basically not, I would say, for the last two months, and even example, the last uh, couple of weeks is more stronger, but the last two months, they are, uh, can't pass even one decision because uh, we're using that the coalition is a diversity between all the eight parties that are in the, that coalition. That's one part. And that's what they should do. But I have to say the truth. And, and, and that's something that uh, uh, people in Eretz Israel, even in the Haredi community, are not so much aware Okay, and what these reform and conservative, because there isn't cannot conform and conservative in Israel. They don't exist. There's 80 shuls, 90 shuls in the whole country. They don't know what, what it is. It, I speak compared to, to my colleagues, Haredi, Haredi, Haveknesset, they don't even, uh, 8,000 probably, they're probably 8,000. And we're talking about even more. I never, never counted it. But again, the, the idea is, when I speak to my colleagues, some of them didn't even know the reform, that, uh, the reform rabbi that's sitting in the Knesset is Michal Shabbos. Now, if I would tell an American Jew that a reformed Jew is not Shemesh Shabbos, he would laugh. He would say, why would you think he's a Shemesh Shabbos, right? But 
And when I say it over here, and they have a conservative also uh, uh, representative over here. Uh, and people don't know. And I was telling it to my colleagues. They didn't even know that. And an American, because I came from Chutzlars, and my parents came from Chutzlars, I'm aware of that, that they're not Shepard Shabbos, right? And I'm aware that uh, they're not that. That's one thing. And people are convinced that the Klaus and Chutzlars, uh, the the big, the most powerful groups of Chutzlars are reforming conservative, and they don't know it's not true. And they use that. They use that at the Jewish agency, for example. The Jewish agency in Israel, in the last 20 years, was the reform lobby over here because they came and convinced until what you did uh, until what you did in Eretz HaKodesh no one even heard about that they're they're immune. By the end of the day, they're immune. The most of the activities all around the world are not. When Eretz HaKodesh came in America and took away from the reform their majority, the reform and the conservative their majority in America, people opened their eyes. That not any decision against reform in the council or the key or anything like that means fighting with uh, uh, fighting with APEC or fighting with America. And people were convinced that for years. And that checker is people even people from people also didn't understand how much it's far from the MS. Wow. Yeah. What can we in America be doing? First of all, Repesach, I have to tell you, battle. what you did, what you did is an unbelievable revolution, like I said before, that people know today that outstanding. There's a... In America and then now all around the world, there's people that are, uh, uh, care about Eretz Israel, care about that, and they're religious from Yidin. That's the biggest, first of all, the biggest Kiddush Hashem, and the biggest, uh, I would say, the, the statement that everybody understands that that checker, that the world jewelry doesn't exist. That's one. Two, yeah. Anyone that has any influence anywhere in the world, on the Jewish agency, on anyone, and on the, these national institutions, on the WZO, or that, they shouldn't be the lobbyists. Like I said again, we have to find out always, and not everybody necessarily knows who these foundations are. You know that even me, I just found out two weeks ago about another organization that's being sponsored by the conservative that's sitting in the Knesset. It's called Al Mishmara Knesset. Who thought that it has anything to do with this? Wow, so they're really all over the place. They're putting are in they money work? from foundations, le- from left wing foundations, everywhere they can. In courts, in, in uh, lobbying, in the press, in, in all kinds of do anything they can to make Eretz Yisrael, they won't be Batsmiach, but to make Eretz Yisrael not a Jewish state. They say it very clearly, we want a democratic state. What is Judaism? Judaism is something. You know, I, when a conservative rabbi gets up in America, again, I'm talking from Eretz Yisrael, I don't know, maybe in America, the people are not being spoiled. Sir, get, a rabbi gets up and says there was no Yitzhak Mitzrayim. There's nobody, of, not a fry Jew in Eretz Yisrael that agrees that that's Yiddish guy. Not one fry Yid in Eretz Yisrael could agree that that's Yiddish guy. And what's the direction? And we have to step up and say to the to the uh, people that still the Kudyashbo, the, the Bennett, Saar, all these people, they have to hear it. They have to hear it getting letters. They have to get mails. They have to get petitions. They have to stand up loud and hear that the Jews all around the world disagree that Eretz uh, Israel is a place, a pluralist place, and Judaism is something open that you could have a, a, a conservative, a reform, or a priest, or whatever, that that should be called Judaism. People are going to ask me, or they do ask me all the time, what are they, what's the Daskidolim in Eretz Yisrael on this battle, on what we should be doing, on our involvement? 
I heard from Reb Gershon that he was busy, and from Reb Chaim. I heard from from Moran Sarter Reb Chaim Kanyevsky and Moran Shaisi Reb Gershon several times. First of all, the biggest danger they think is the changing the trying to do in the gear. But on Shabbos, on the gear, and everybody has to scream it out everywhere he is in the world by sending mails and making petitions, by coming and know that. It could ruin the, the cloudy soil, that idea, the cloud, that the, uh, you could be a Jew with just serving in the army and uh, and a fry kid could grow in a, a goy, going in a fry home and being a guy. I mean, these are things that are dangerous for the us in the cloudy soil. You know, we have thousands of balitsuva, tens of thousands of balitsuva. Just think that every balitsuva, we would have to check if his mother's Jewish or his grandmother's Jewish. And, and in 20 years from now, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible idea, the cloud, that, that we could get into such a system. The, and there's no intermarriage. They're bringing an intermarriage into Israel. These are things that are terrible just to, to think about. And everyone in the whole world yeah, has to be make a cold talk and say, you know, it's not that. That's one. And two, the person I'm saying again, what you did is unbelievable. Because for years, in history, you just have to know. Menachem Begin, when he started in 77, first government with the Haredi parties, he wanted to get the reform out of here and the gear and everything. And you know why he stopped? He said, I can't fight with President Carter at the same time when I'm fighting. Uh, I can't fight with President Carter on everything. And I need the, the Jews in America. That, that was the biggest checker. And that, and that was the reason he cut out of the Yehudi dead. That's the real evidence. Because he was afraid of the Jews in America. And if the Jews in America are going to set up and say, it's not us. It's a sheker. If Jews in Europe are going to stand in England, they're going to stand up and say, it's not us, it's a sheker. The Jews in South Africa, if Bennett's going to hear he's fighting with the Jews all around the world, he's going to think twice. If Kahana's going to understand that he's fighting with Jews all around the world, he's going to think twice. And in the national, I'm saying again, in the national uh, institutions, if they'll know that the majority of Yidin all around the world, the majority of Jewish activity all around the world is the real Yiddishkeit that is still under the terror Their biggest lobbyists of years is going to fall apart. And that's why Pesach, yes, you have to keep on doing it. Thank you. But you, you know what? We've gotten that message. We know the dangers. But I don't want to end with the negative. Tell us some good things happening in the Israel. Why are they doing it? Why, why are they running a battle? If they, wouldn't be a, if they wouldn't have a problem and they weren't losing the battle, they wouldn't do it. First of all, let's start with facts. You know that in the education this year, okay, this year in the education at Israel, 800, 500,000 kids are learning in yeshivas. 360 are learning in the public from schools, 360,000. And only a million children are learning in the, in the public schools, just to get the numbers. That's one. Wow. Two, over uh, uh, there, let's say there's about 25% that are Shemesh Shabbos, uh, completely from uh, 25% in Israel or 30% in Israel. Probably more, closer to 30. There's another 25% that are traditional that are part time, I would say, Shemesh Shabbos, okay? They feel a connection to Yiddishkeit. And in Israel, they feel connected to the Orthodox community. They feel connected to the Kaisal. They feel connected to the Orthodox rabbi in their area. They feel connected. That's where they do their bar mitzvah. That's what they do. They come from one field and Shabbos to an Orthodox. Some of them have chavrusas. Some of them are sure part of the mitzvah that they could. But for them, it's easy. But they're not anti. That's the mitzvah in Israel. We have over 2 million people that are miscarried to Yiddish every day. Another step. Another that. And, and they're trying to get those people. That's what they're trying to get. That's who they're after. So our success... They're trying to give them an alternative and say, we'll do it uh, right here, we'll do it better, we'll do it that. And we know what happened in, in other places. We know what happened in America. These people that went to the conservatives uh, are into marriage today.
Okay. The battle is for a real reason. Because we're succeeding over here, because Syria is growing over here, because it's over half a million children, it's a American number. You just understand, we, we used to be 100,000 kids today, it's a half a million kids. Wow. Abuse of Fingers, Saber Knesset, Rosh Segal personal friends and activists, we thank you. I want to say one thing, Pesach, again. As a private person, what you did is a revolution unbelievable. And a it's a what one person could get up against the whole world and do. A Kiddush Hashem, Godu Adlimoid. Keep on doing your good job. Good people, I just happen to be a name in the front. Thank you so much. And uh, <laughs> continue to the battle we all have to thank fight. Thank you. And in Rasiat Rishmael will be successful. Thank you, thank you. God, God. Two years ago, right before Purim, right before Corona, with the elections for the World Zionist Organization Congress. Many of you listening know about it. There was a little bit of a tumult. There was a tumult on this show two years ago. And many of you, and I would say a good number of you, voted in that election for the Eretz HaKodesh party. And we thank you. That party was begun by myself with a lot of assistance from other people and a phenomenal amount of siyat tishmaya. It was started at the, at the, with the brachos of Gedolim, Gedoli Yisrael on this side of the Atlantic and that side of the Atlantic, depending what side of the Atlantic you're on. And much has happened. My associate, my colleague, my friend, my brother on the other end is Rabbi Nehemiah Malinowitz, the Israel director. He was involved in the elections and he's been the man on the ground for so long. You probably know all about him with his updates and his activities vis-a-vis getting in 25 to 30,000 Talmudim and Talmudos into Eretz Israel during Corona. A schus that we envy. Tonight we have the opportunity to, to listen to Rabbi Nechamiel Lenowitz. We're going to find out what happened, what's happening, what will happen. Okay, as the advertisements went out, we're in, now what? We're going to hear all about it. So please welcome Rabbi Nechamiel Lenowitz. Yerushalayim. How are you, Rav Nechemia? Baruch Hashem. Shalom Aleichem, Rav Pesach. I hear you're in Eretz Yisrael, too, so, um, you know, it's uh, it's nice to hear from you, and it's nice to see you. This is the view from Yerushalayim. Tonight's show is the view from Yerushalayim from beginning to end. Everybody is here, almost everybody. So, let's go. Can you review for thank, our first of all, listening th- audience? Sure. First of all, thank you very, very much for the introduction. I just want to say that it's an unbelievable bracha and a siyata d'shmaya that we have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. With the COVID happening and the world shutting down and the whole world turning inside out, he created the refuah before the Makkah. Tayyar has to continue. The most important thing that Kal Yisrael needs, especially in times of trouble, is the Tayyar learning. Tayyar learning in Eretz Yisrael is a different type of Torah learning. What the Ebershah did was he put us, myself, through the schos of Eretz HaKadosh, in a position to be able to continue the learning of Torah of thousands and thousands of Talmudim through his, this mechanism that uh, we were of joining the WZO, which, you know, we'll, uh, I'll explain more how that, that assisted and that brought about the bringing of the thousands of Talmudim and Talmidos and Teretz Yisrael. But just, we have to be Makir and Maidit HaKadosh for this unbelievable creation of the Refua before the Makkah, which allowed this all to happen and something we have to recognize. Okay, let's review to start with. What we did, we went into what they call the most so-called the national institutions, and uh, please share exactly what that is. Okay, for sure. So now, first of all, I want to just give a little bit of uh, a little bit of an important introduction. 
in in recent years, most especially in the last two, three, five, four, five years, the issues of Datu Medina, religion and state, have become one of the most hottest, important issues in the discussion in Eretz Yisrael. Does the government, are we, yes Medina, yes Medina Yehudit, meaning how much of a say does religion have in the state of Israel, how much yes, how much no. Throughout the discussions of these issues that take place, and they're getting you know, worse and worse and more and more of a discussion, the liberal organizations throughout the world have always claimed that they represent diaspora Jewry. And they're talking on behalf of diaspora Jewry with the claim that we need changes to the status quo. The way Medinat Israel, the way the state of Israel has been set up was with Orthodox Judaism being the Yiddishkeit of Eretz Yisrael, whether it's marriages which have to be done in a Bezden al whether it's Shabbos and there's no buses on Shabbos, whether it's the Kaisel which has the Kaisel of the official Orthodox Kaisel. And kosher, kashras means kashras. Throughout the last few years, the liberal organizations have started claiming that as the representatives of the diaspora jury, on behalf of the diaspora jury, we seek to bring changes to the status quo. We want to change the kaisal, we want to change the gear, we want to change kashras, we want to talk, we talk about public transportation on Shabbos, and so on and so forth. Now, the claims of all these organizations is based on the fact that in every official framework of representation to the state of Israel, meaning those that represent diaspora jury to the state of Israel, were always the reform and the conservative organizations. The liberal organizations were the official, so to speak, representatives toward the state of Israel. The reason is because Orthodox Judaism, from Judaism, in America, never really saw a need to be the official representation to the institutions of the state of Israel. The Haredi world stayed away from state of Israel. The Haredi world world stayed away from this issue of the official recognition that the Haredi sheep has been all along. And therefore, Haredi representation in America or in diaspora never really saw a need to be the official go-between, the official representation towards the official state of Israel. And that's the way it's been for, you know, since, since the creation of, of the state of Israel. Now, apart from the official representation, the movement that are the official representation, besides just being the official representatives of Kal Yisrael, of the, of the diaspora Jews, they also control the budgets that the state of Israel gives for activities for the diaspora. Meaning, they're talking all, about all this, hundreds all, of... All this, within, all this within the national institutions of the World Zionist Organization, the Jewish Agency, and Karen Kayama, JNF Israel. I'm really, yes, I'm even talking about before that. Meaning, anytime the Mitzrayat Tzutzot and all of the official government agencies have been talking about doing any Shituf Pula, any working project together with diaspora jury, they're always doing the official, the, the official connections, the official budgets, the official Shituf Pula, the working together, the, the, you know, the, the, wherever they work together, with the, the, the powers, with the organizations that represent the diaspora jury. Right? That's, the, that's what's still historically the case. Who, who represents <coughs> American Jewry, world Jewry? Okay, so now the way it works is that the official, this is the way it was established, and I'll just give you a little bit of background and history. The state of Israel was created through something known as the National Institution. The National Institutions consist of the World Zionist Organization, which was the creator, so to speak, of the state of Israel. They brought the Congress, they, they, and then the Kakao brought the land of Israel, and the Jewish Agency, which was the official go-between between Jews all over the world and the state of Israel. These National Institutions so to speak, 
created the state of Israel, helped create the state of Israel. After the state of Israel was created, there was a discussion of, you know, how these national institutions would look, and they were kept there in order to continue being the official representation of to continue doing what they were doing, whether it's representing diaspora Jews all over, whether it was being the connection to the Jewish agency, Aliyah, bringing people to continue bringing people to Eretz Yisrael. Those were the, the, the institutions that were doing it as the connection of diaspora Jews. Eventually, what ended up happening was, over the last few years, you know, I don't want to get a little too technical, but I'll just get very, very slightly technical because it might help just for an understanding. The way the world works is divided into three. Israel has one-third of the representation. The United States of America has one-third of the entire world's um, representation. And the rest of the world has their third. Israel is basically 50-50. You, 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 you mean within the World Zionist Organization Congress? Within the World Zionist Congress, which then controls the entire operation of the World Zionist Organization, the World Zionist Congress, the Kakao, which is the land authority of Eretz Israel, and the Jewish agency. Amer Israel is generally going to be 50-50. Like in America, America, basically, you have Republicans and Democrats of 50-50, you know, a little bit of leans 51%, 52, 53, you go down a little bit to 45, but basically speaking, it's about 50-50. In America, which is one-third of the total delegates, the total votes for the entire World Zionist Organization, the reform and the liberal movements have moved in there because, so to speak, as a vacuum, there was nobody else there. And with uh, the, the votes that they got, they basically took control of between 70 and 90 out of the 150 delegates that come from America, thereby taking control of the entire World Zionist Organization, the Kakao, the Jewish Agency, and everything there, and thereby becoming the official representation of world Jewry to the state of Israel. Now, I'm not, before we talk about the actual budgets and what happens with it, but what we're basically talking about is the, now they have the, uh, so to speak, official right to stand up to the government of Israel and say, as the representation of world Jewry, we demand changes to the status quo in order for us to be able to feel more connected to the state of Israel, in order for us to be more connected to Israel. We want changes in buses on Shabbos. We want changes to Kaisal. We want changes to the gear. We want changes to Kashrus. We want changes to anything that has to do with the fact that orthodoxy is the official religion, so to speak, is the official um, uh, mahala, you, you know, you want to call it the official Judaism in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, now just uh, a little bit of another, just, uh, just one little bit of an understanding. Eretz Yisrael has hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people who are Mesorati. The Mesorati people means they keep kosher. They don't know anything what it means kosher, but they walk into the store and they look for the kosher stamp. They get married in, 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 in with the Rabbanut. They get married with a Rav. They get divorced if it, if, if it comes that way with a Get. Shabbos is Shabbos. Every government building has to have a mezuzah on it. The reason for that is because when the state of Israel was established, it was understood that Orthodox from Torah Yiddishkeit is the Yiddishkeit of the state of Israel. Now, the liberal movements who are obviously, um, they're failing somewhat in America. They're disappearing. They're assimilating. They're trying to move that there to Israel. The danger of this is, and this is what the battle is for, is for these Misorati people, the people that walk into a store and look for the kosher stamp, the people that understood that Shabbos is Shabbos, whether they keep Shabbos or they don't keep Shabbos, but Shabbos means that I'm not allowed to drive. Now, some people are not Shomer Shabbos. They call themselves Chiloni or Mesorati, but the definition of Yiddishkeit is only one definition of Yiddishkeit. That is where they're trying to change. 
the liberal movements are trying to come into Israel and change the facts on the ground. They're trying to say that you could be a quote-unquote from Jew and have a rabbi who's the head of the from uh, of this movement, who's a Machal Shabbos. There's nothing wrong with being a Machal Shabbos and being also a religious Jew, so to speak, because I'm Reform religion, or I'm Reform, and therefore I could marry whoever I want. And there's no reason why you have to get married in the Rabbanut. And that's the danger, and that's what we're trying to fight, and that's what we're trying to stand up for, which is Torah Menach Shemayim, Torah with Messiah, Torah with Yiddishkeit, and Torah with, we know, as the future of Kal Yisrael. What changed? Okay, so now what changed, first of all, is, and this is a very uh, important question, you know, the, the G'daylim have instructed Eretz HaKadosh, Al-Pidas G'daylim, both in Eretz Yisrael and in America, to change the narrative to change the understanding, the basis of what's understanding over there is that Judaism of the world is being represented by people who are in the more liberal streams and the progressive streams. No, we're the Tyra, we're the Yiddishkeit, and we have to go in there, and the only place to go in there is to become the official representation of Kal Yisrael, the official representation of Tyra and of, of, of diaspora Jews, which is Tyra and Messiah. Now, a little bit of an understanding is we're talking about over here over a billion dollars a year of budget. Now, where does this money come from? Most people will tell you that the money comes from donations all over the world, and all of a sudden people are trying to take, people are trying to steal, people are trying to get their hands on the money that's being donated to Israel by different people. And the fact is that push it not true. And this is what we discovered once we got into Eretz so once we started looking through to, to the World Zionist Organization, once we started looking through what is going on, we discovered unbelievable things. Just to give you the basics, America is owned by America. And France is owned by France, meaning the federal government of France owns France, and the federal government of America owns America. Eretz Yisrael was decided when they created the state. Now, the Kakao, the land authority, what you call the Karen Kayam Israel, they bought the land of Israel from, whether it was the Arabs or the English, before the creation of the state of Israel. Once the creation of the state of Israel, many, many parts of the land of Israel stayed in the hands of the Kakao. What that means is that whenever the government wants to build a city, for example, Beit Shemesh, or any other city which you might know and you might be buying houses from, the government has to buy the land from itself, from the cacao, which is a, so to speak, privately public-owned company by the, by the Karen Kayamet, owned by the WZO. And the government has to buy the land from them. The taxes that you buy, the, the, whenever you buy a house in any of these cities, which is land owned by the cacao, you are paying taxes to the government to buy the land from themselves and to give the money to cacao. That money is over close to a billion dollars a year of money that's taken from us, from me, from you, from the, anybody that's buying a house in Eretz Yisrael, and he's giving the money to the cacao to be controlled by the people that control cacao, which means wait any second, person wait that's wait buying wait a house. Wait a second, wait a second. But I thought, well, I know, but everybody thinks that diaspora Jewry the liberal streams claim that they give millions and millions and millions of dollars of donations, and they're the ones who give the money. It's seemingly now our audience mm -hmm. is learning that's not true. Uh, much of the money, true. most of the money is coming, pressure is coming through. So we know now that this money is tax money or government money. It's not coming necessarily from diaspora, and then it's being used by whoever controls, etc. So Kodesh, as you mentioned, by the Gazolim got in. We're there, okay. We're here. We're there. We're active. Now what? Tell us. Can you tell? Share with the, share with everybody what has been done and what is planning to be done and how Eretz Kodesh is making a difference. 
Okay, so now let, let me just to give you a little glimpse. Now that I'm in, you know, I, I was a rebbe for many years, and I was in Chinuch. But now that I'm into, uh, I with the advice of the Daily Yisrael, I'm now involved in the Kaddish and budgets and budget lines. I'm, I'm learning a lot of things about, about budgets, which is very interesting. And let's say you have the Kakal, which owns uh, uh, things, which owns projects, which has money. What they do is they run projects. The Kakal or the different organizations run the projects. The projects are run by the Kakal. The projects are run by the Karen Kamali Israel. The controllers and the deciders of where that money should go is the board of the Kakal. The board is made up of the people who get voted in through the World Zionist Congress elections. They decide where the money should go. But at the end of the day, it's a Kakal program. I'll, I'll give a couple of very simple examples. For many years, there was something called a Mishlachat an educator's mission, which means the Kakao brought educators from all over the world to Israel to travel the land, to see the land, to learn the land, and then go back to their respective countries, whether it's Australia, America, Argentina, anywhere in the world, to go back to their country and teach their students about Eretz Yisrael. What happens when the control of the Kakao is under the, the liberal and progressive movements, they're going to bring their teachers they're going to bring their people, they're going to bring their idea of education, bring the people to Eretz Yisrael, the educators from all over the world, bring them to Eretz Yisrael, show them around Eretz Yisrael, and then have them go back teaching their idea of Yiddishkeit and the history and the connection of Kal Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael. Whatever it's a Kodesh was supposed to do last year, but unfortunately due to COVID, it had to get canceled, was go into the board of the Mechanchen mission, the educated mission, and bring edu- from educators, from the from schools throughout all over the world, and bring them to Eretz Yisrael, and have them see Baruch HaMachbeila, Kaisal HaMaravi, Kever Rachel, Kever Rashbi, show them around Eretz Yisrael, and then go back to America and teach their Talmidim about what the history of Eretz Yisrael is. Going back 2,000, 3,000 years, when we'll Kaddish Baruch Hu promised the land to Avram Avinu. Other examples, which are, you know, people might know more about, is let's say, for example, the Masa program. Masa is a government program owned by, controlled by the Jewish agency and the Israeli government, which brings in students throughout the world to come study a year. We're talking about anywhere between, they give grants to students coming there. So anywhere between $700 and $3,000 a year per student. For the last bunch of years, the control of MASA, the control of this program run by Jewish agency in the Kakao, with money coming from the Kakao, was in the control of the reform and liberal movements, which means our Talmidim from the ones that are coming to Eretz Yisrael, the seminary boys, seminary girls, the yeshiva students who are coming to Eretz Yisrael to learn in Eretz Yisrael had no access to this grant of coming to study in Eretz Yisrael. One of the things we're working very, very hard on, and it's a bit of an issue now because the government has to provide some of the money together with the Jewish agency, it's a little more complicated, but one of the things we're working on is to get onto the boards of, of, of MATSA programs and actually bring the from communities, the Haredi communities, to Eretz Yisrael with these grants. You want other examples, or is it getting a little too technical? Let's, let's, let's talk about the peripheral cities that we, we, we've talked about tonight. Okay, one of the one of the things that Kakao does, one of the things that the, the, the Karen Kiamat does, is they give money. It's about $200,000 a year towards underprivileged cities, meaning they provide trips, entertainment, events, parks, and all these things to different underprivileged cities throughout the country. Since these programs were under the control of the reform and the conservative movement, more or less, the Haredi cities throughout Eretz Yisrael had absolutely no access, which means 
you know, Beitar, B'nai Brak, uh, Elad, Kiryat Sefer, Telstone, Emmanuel, Nitivot, all of these cities were not able to get these monies called Yeshuvei Ma'of, underprivileged cities. The first thing that we did under the guidance of the daily song we got in there was we changed the criteria. We we actually went into the boards of Yeshuvei Ma'of and changed the criteria and now this past Hanukkah summer, Pesach, um, throughout even Sukkot now, and just, just as recently as Hanukkah, all the cities of B'nai Brak, Tolstone, Kiryat Sefer, uh, uh, what, uh, what did you say, Elad, Beitar, all of them got these money and there were buses going out on a daily basis from the being paid for by the Kakao, which again is our money, to all the Haredi Yishuvim throughout the city, just like everybody else. We're not trying to take anything more than anybody else. All we're trying to get is equality and to be treated like everybody else in the country has the right to get these buses and these programs and these parks. Emmanuel just got a beautiful new park for the first time donated by the Kakao. Thanks, Eretz HaKodesh. Shemitah. What was Shemitah on the cacao? And what is Shemitah this year on the cacao? Okay, one of the most important things about Eretz Yisrael and the specialness of Eretz Yisrael and understanding of Eretz Yisrael and what we know from the Torah is the Shavu Ta'aretz Shabbos Lashem. The Shavu Ta'aretz Shabbos Lashem is that there's a chiv on the land to be Shabbos. There's a chiv on the land of Eretz Yisrael to be shallow, to lie fallow in the year of Shemitah. One of the first things the Gedalim instructed us to do, and now the controllers, are, or it's not the controllers, but the people involved in the cacao, is to try and get cacao to keep Shemitah. I am unbelievable theater de Shmaya and in the right people in the right place know how to do the right things at the right time. For the first time in the history of Eretz Yisrael, all the lands of Kakao, which is, you know, it's not the private fields that people own, but the forests, the land, there's olive orchards, there's carob orchards, there's the, the, the actual lands of the Kakao for the first time ever are keeping Shemitah. They are lying fallow. However, Frati is the one that was um, chosen by us and the Kakao, Althea Heskem, uh, with an agreement to him to be in control, all the Shilas go to Rebbe Frati. What could they do? What they can't do? Qualify. Nehemiah, let's qualify for those who may not need. This is how Rav Yosef Frati, Tom Mubark, and Bene Bayes of Rav Yosef Zatzal. Correct. And he's the one that has the machon of 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 shmita of of uh, halacha. He's he's an expert in mitzvahs atulis barat. He has the unbelievable machon and the building and the the, the kailo where they sit and learn mitzvahs atulis barat. He's probably from the biggest bekiim in Eretz Yisrael, and he agreed to take upon himself cacao and all the lands of the country where they're going to be keeping shmita for the first time in history. For the first time in history, more than fifty percent of the lands in Eretz Yisrael is keeping shmita. This it's is unbelievable. An unbelievable Nehemia, you were able, because of Eretz HaKodesh and being in the right place at the right time, you were able to bring in how many Talmudim and Talmudos since the beginning of Corona that are sitting and learning? How many yeshivas came over to you, Rosh Yeshivas and Seminary, and said, you, because of your activities, we had, yeshiva was open, the seminary was open. Correct? How many people... How many Talmudim did you bring in? Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, in the last two years, it's clo- close to 50,000. Ashrecho. Ashrecho. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I want to thank you, Pesach, for... I want to thank you, Pesach, for getting me involved in the Savayi Sakaidish. I was at the right time, in the right place. It was... This is a Nate Nigua, HaKadosh Baruch, who's directing traffic. And I think our successes 
that the group that we're working with are all doing it with Shmuel, and we're doing it under the direction of Gedoli Yisrael. We go back to the Gedoli Yisrael. They're directing us on the traffic. We know what we're doing, and we're taking the direction. And on behalf of so many students that you got in, and such activity going on, and Baruch Hashem, we should continue to be Masliach with Siyat and uh, again, thank you, and uh, our audience thank you for wonderful evening. Call to.